Well, if you have your Bibles with you, I'd invite you to turn with me this morning once again to the Gospel of John. If you were here a few weeks ago, we began our study of this book just a couple weeks, just looking at the first five verses, and so you're at the front end of what will be a week's long, months-long study through this great account of the Lord Jesus. And remember, those of you who were here a couple weeks ago, we started with the first five verses, and we recognize that in John's account of the life of Jesus Christ, it's not like the other gospel writers. John doesn't begin with a family tree like Matthew does. He doesn't begin with the story of family origin and conception like Luke does. But he begins with three simple words that our entire Bible begins with. In the beginning. And when John begins with those three words, he's not speaking of the beginning of Jesus' life. He's speaking about the beginning of the world. How can he speak in such a way? Because Jesus himself, though he had an earthly beginning, he has no beginning as a person. Jesus is unlike unlike any other man, and that's what John wants us to see right off the bat. And so to communicate this, John begins his gospel in the beginning, and then goes on to expand talking about Jesus in metaphors. He still not mentioned the name of Jesus, and he won't even mention the name of Jesus today, but we know who he's communicating He is the Word, John says. Jesus is the communication of God, the One who created all that is, the One who is with God, and the One who is God. John also proclaims that He is the light. It's the other metaphor he uses. The One who exposes darkness and reigns over it. The One who guides us with His life and with His words in the way that we should go. As we began this study, these are huge themes, huge themes that John pens concerning God's purposes, and they're all centered around his goal for the book, a goal which he outlines later in the book, which I mentioned to you last week, that you may know, that you may believe, and that you may have life in this Jesus. And so today, as we move on slowly through this opening chapter, we're going to develop one of these themes a bit more, one that you'll hear five times in these eight verses. Uh, We talked a little bit about it two weeks ago, just touching on it, the theme of the light. And so if you have your Bibles open, it's our tradition here at Ascension for you to stand for the reading of God's Word. I invite you to do that if you're able. John chapter 1, verses 6 through 13 is where we are this morning. You can follow along on the screen behind me or in your copy of God's Word. Listen as I read. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, 
And his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. I want to begin this morning by talking to you about the concept of light. As I said, this is the big theme that John reintroduces here in these verses. He introduced it in the last verse of the last passage we looked at. But I want to think about the concept of light. Light not specifically in the metaphoric sense, but in the scientific sense. Now, I recognize that John is not talking scientifically here. He's talking metaphorically. But the science of what light is certainly, I think, and helpfully, I think, applies to the character of the light that he is describing here. There are all sorts of ways to talk about light. But here's how one of our modern American dictionaries defines light scientifically. Light is electromagnetic radiation of any wavelength that travels in a vacuum with a speed of 299,792,458 meters per second. That's about 186,000 miles per second. And what's so striking about this scientific definition of light is that it's different than how we understand and experience light, right? We turn light on and off, right? We think of light as this stationary thing. It appears on the horizon. But light is not stationary, It is an energy, an energy that is in motion, an energy that is powerful. You walk into a room and you can't see, and then you flip on a light, and that that light hits your eyes and it gives you sight. We think about a sunrise. Those rays, those waves come flowing over those mountains that we see far to the east. They speed to us. And they hit our eyeballs and give us the ability to see. It's pretty amazing when you think about light in that kind of powerful, moving way. And and that, I think, is the way that we need to think about John describing Jesus as the light. Not a static thing, but a dynamic thing. Not a controlled thing, but a creating thing. And this is not to say that Jesus is some mere power or mere force. No, I'm not saying that. He's a person, but he's a person like no other. And that's what John is communicating through this metaphor of light. And so this morning, I want us to see and meditate on three fundamental truths in these verses. Three truths about the nature of our salvation, the nature of believers, and the nature of our mission and ministry. That's where we're going. 
And these are truths that John, in this evangelistic book, right, he wants everyone to know and believe that Jesus is who he says he is and to have life in his name. These are themes that we will return to again and again in the book. In fact, as I thought about putting together this sermon, you know, we're still in the prologue of John. We're still in the introductory remarks of John. These three points are kind of like three little mini sermons that will later in weeks and months to come be bigger sermons as John returns to these things. In the story of Nicodemus, for instance, that becomes a prominent thing where he talks about what does it mean to be born again? And so three little mini-sermons, three points for us today, three truths that flow from and build upon this idea of the power of light to create. And the first one is this. The light creates a new birth. That's what John communicates. The light creates a new birth. Speaking of science, there's a process in our world that we call photosynthesis. It's a process by which plants use sunlight to synthesize food from carbon dioxide and water. Right? You school guys, you remember this? You remember learning this in science class? Converting solar energy into chemical energy to be stored for later use. Photosynthesis is absolutely fundamental to our world. It's essential to our survival. And John isn't talking, again, about photosynthesis here, but he is talking about essential light for our survival. In fact, the word he uses here, the Greek word he uses is phos, where we get our word photosynthesis, where we get our word photograph from. And John is saying that apart from the light, apart from Jesus, there is no life. And what kind of life am I talking about? Every kind of life. Without the light of Jesus, there is no life eternal. Without the light of Jesus, there is no life here and now. Abundant life, as John will later call it in John chapter 10. Without Jesus, there is no true life. Life as it was meant to be lived. Life lived according to the design of the Creator, fulfilling the purposes that it was created for. So John says this light creates a new birth. And he describes to us the nature of this new birth very briefly. First of all, verse 13, it is a birth from God. Right, Born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. In other words, you didn't inherit this birth. It's not of blood. It's not of descent. It came from outside you. And this, of course, is what many Jewish leaders in Jesus' day relied upon, right? They told Jesus, hey, we are sons of Abraham. We are Jews. We're okay, they would argue. But Jesus says, no, that is not enough. You must be born of God. Born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh or the will of man. In other words, you didn't earn this birth. 
It wasn't something you figured out. It wasn't something you achieved. We love the stories, particularly in modern America, we love the stories of of self-determination, of of the self-made man. Just work harder than everybody else and your dreams will come true. You can do what you want to do. Not so with the new birth. There is one and only one who gets the glory. It's God Himself. And so the Apostle Paul will declare and proclaim it is by grace you have been saved, a gift ensuring that no one can boast. This new birth that comes from the light is born of God supernaturally. And it's also a birth that's born from belief. Verse 12, to all who believed in His name. This word believe, it's more than just knowledge. It's more than just knowing about some. There's this, this notion of trust to all who trust in who He is, in who Jesus revealed Himself to be. And so, yes, you must be born of God and you must apprehend by belief. And by believing, you prove yourself a recipient of that gift. And we could get all behind the curtain, couldn't we? We love to do that in Reformed Presbyterianism. And there'll be time to do that later in the book of John. What was going on behind the curtain? But this isn't the time. It's a birth born from God and from belief. And then lastly, it is free. It's a free offer of life for all. Verse 9, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. One commentator helpfully sets up this statement. He says this, John inhabited a world which confined its salvation to specific groups through philosophy for the intellectual and intelligent, through mystery cults if one was initiated, or through Jewish religion if one was Jewish. And in contrast, John says, the light came into the world and the light doesn't discriminate on the darkness it touches. Jesus came to indiscriminately reveal the nature and knowledge of God that you might be born of God as you apprehend and grab a hold of Jesus by faith. I love how John begins his first letter to the church. Our women are studying this. 1 John chapter 1, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands. We studied that a couple years ago as we walked through the book of 1 John. Ear witnesses, eye witnesses, hand witnesses. The testimony was expansive, John says, for who Jesus was and for what he accomplished. And yet, the reception, John reminds us here, was mixed. Right? Jesus came into the world. And what did the world do? John introduces this, another big theme in his gospel, the word world. 78 times he will use this word world. We'll come back to it again and again in the weeks to come. Matthew only uses it eight times in his gospel. Luke only uses it three times in his gospel. But John says here, Jesus came, the light came into the world for the world, and they rejected him. They rejected their creator. See, some people in our world, they spout stuff like, 
If there was a God, if a God really does care about our plight, then, then why doesn't he just show up? And John says to us this morning, he has shown up. That's my point. He has shown up. The light has come into the world, and yet the world has rejected him, and the world continues to reject him in hardness of heart and unbelief. And even his own, John says, even his fellow Jews, they didn't recognize the gift that Jesus was to them. And so this first point, this first reality of light creating new birth, What's the response? We're being reminded again that we are born of God, not of our own will. That it's a gift. That it's for all apprehended by faith. I think if there are those here this morning or if there are those listening online that have never grabbed a hold of this gift... This is the message of the gospel. This is what we're all about. This This is the message of the church. Believe in Jesus and be saved. Believe in Jesus and have life as you were intended to have life. Don't reject what God has given. Don't reject what God has revealed. New life and new birth can be yours. And you can get off of your treadmill of trying to please and for those of us who know and love Jesus it's a reminder to recognize and worship the one who has given us new life and new birth as we move on in the passage to all who receive him to believe in his name he gives them the right to become children of God and what a promise this is it's the second fundamental truth The new birth creates a new identity. The light creates a new birth, and then a new birth creates a new identity. Not just citizens of a kingdom, not just servants of a king, but sons and daughters of the Most High. And again, a a right that is not inherited, a right that is not earned by hard work, but a right that is given freely by the grace of another. We could unpack this for days. But let's think for a moment, a brief moment on this privilege. Three things came to mind as I was just meditating on the reality of being a child of God. What does that mean for us? That the light has given us the right, that new birth has given us the right to be children of God. Well, the first thing that came to my mind is security. Security. Remember last year, for those of you who have been around, we studied Psalm 131. And in that psalm, the psalmist says in verse 2, he says this, I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. Now I know, I, I recognize in speaking to a group this large that This isn't true for all of us. But for many, the wonderful feeling that comes from childhood is more than just nostalgia. It's the simplicity of life. The security of existence. Everything taken care of. Seemingly in control. 
right? Dad paid the bills. He fought traffic on the way to Disney World. Mom cared for our needs. She packed our lunches. Life was simple, carefree, and it was okay that we weren't in control because we loved the one who was. And we know that He loved us. That she loved us. In that sermon, I quoted a 21 Pilots song. Wish we could turn back time to the good old days when our mama sang us to sleep. But now, we're stressed out. John reminds us this morning that through the light, through the new birth, you're safe. You don't need to be anxious. You're a child of God, and it's not just a title, child, son, daughter. It's not something we strive for or look forward to being. It's a reality that is right now a fundamental change for all those who are born again in Jesus. The Westminster Confession of Faith talks about this reality using the word adoption. All those that are justified, God, in and for His only Son, Jesus Christ, makes partakers of the grace of adoption by which they are taken into the number and enjoy the liberties and privileges of the children of God, having His name put upon them, receiving the spirit of adoption and having access to the throne of grace with boldness and are enabled to cry, Abba, Father, are pitied, protected, provided for, and chastened by Him as a Father, yet never cast off, but sealed to the day of redemption and inherit the promises as heirs of everlasting salvation. And so there's security as the children of God in this new identity, but there's also access. The confession talks about it here, this word translated as right. He gives us the right. We could also translate, he gives us the authority, right? John will use the same word when he speaks of Jesus saying of his own life in John 10, I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. And through through Jesus, through your union with Him, through your new birth that you have received by being born of God, you have authority. You have a right to be here. You have a right to be before the throne of God. His priestly work has given you unprecedented access. And so Hebrews 4 says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. And I stumbled across this quote in one of those tributes to Tim Keller that I read this week. This pastor who died and is now face to face with Jesus. He has a great quote where he says this, The only person who dares wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is a child. We have that kind of access. God really loves you that much. He isn't annoyed with your asking. He isn't agitated by your persistence. He isn't even frustrated with the smallness of your requests and your needs and the forgetfulness of how He's already worked in those. Because of the light of Jesus, which is shown in your hearts, resulting in new birth and new identity, you are His beloved. Brothers and sisters, He really does love you that much. 
He really does delight in you that much. So security, access, and one final thing that came to my mind was inheritance. We're going to talk about this in the chapters to come, John 14. Jesus gives that great declaration of, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God because in my Father's house are many rooms. And I go to prepare a place for you. C.S. Lewis says in The Problem of Pain that we all have this inconsolable longing for heaven. And he calls it the secret signature of the soul. We are all longing for peace. We are all longing for place. And so to anxious, fearful, troubled hearts, whether they be His original disciples 2,000 years ago or us sitting here today, Jesus brings peace through the assurance that you are a child, through the promise of a place, through the promise of inheritance that is waiting for you. The new birth creates a new identity. And then finally, the last mini-sermon of the morning, the new identity creates a new purpose. The new identity creates a new purpose. There's no doubt that John the Baptist, who is spoken of here and introduced to us in the Gospel of John, there's no doubt that John's role, his testimony concerning Jesus, was an absolutely unique one. I mean, it starts off from his very conception, which was a miraculous one. Nevertheless, John serves for us. This is not John speaking of himself. This is John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, who is preparing the way, the one spoken of in Isaiah and Malachi. John the Baptist serves as an example, as a model for gospel witness. John will use the Greek word that's translated as testify 33 times in this book. This will be a significant theme, one that we'll return to again and again. The invitation, the privilege, the responsibility to testify, to be witnesses. Luke will say this in Acts 1, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in all Samaria to the ends of the earth as he recounts Jesus' words. And so the new identity as children of God, children born of God, creates a new purpose, a new mission, a new ministry that is not about self, but it's about another. And so, you are called to be a moon. You're called to be a moon. What do I mean by that? Well, let me quote a song because that's what I do. I quote songs because I like songs. They speak to me. There was a song years ago that Sarah Groves sang, and it was called You Are the Sun, S-U-N. It's a song to the Lord, and it says, You are the sun shining down on everyone, light of the world, giving light to everything I see, beauty so brilliant I can hardly take it in, and everywhere you are is warmth and light. 
And I, I am the moon with no light of my own. And yet still you have made me to shine as I glow in this cold, dark night. I know that I can't be a light unless I turn my face to you. And so Jesus says, He will say in John chapter 8, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows Me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This is not life that you are generating in and of yourself. This is light that as you look at the face of Jesus, as you are united to Him in the new birth, as you live as children, that light reflects to the world around. Now what does the light of life look like? In a lot of ways, that's the whole of the Scriptures. It's the whole of the Gospel of John. It's a a lifelong learning. We'll be talking about this plenty. John doesn't give us any specifics of what the light of reflection looks like, except for the fact that it's about Jesus. It's a witness to a person. And I think that's important for us to say because ours is to be a life that is more than just being nice. More than just being about good causes or social justice. That's not what the church is about. The church certainly isn't about making ourselves palatable to the world. That's becoming increasingly impossible to do anyway. No, John was about introducing people to Jesus. And so at the very base, at the very foundation of what it means to be a moon, what it means to reflect the light, it is about introducing people to Jesus through our lives and through our words. Intentional gospel love. And we do that in a variety of ways. We do that as we exude peace in the midst of anxious times. We do that as we exude joy in the midst of incredible grief. We do that in the midst of love, in the midst of incredible persecution. We do that living in light of the resurrection. One more Tim Keller quote. He says this, Live in the light of the resurrection and renewal of this world and of yourself in a glorious, never-ending, joyful dance of grace. I love that. Never-ending, joyful dance of grace. And this takes intentionality takes intentionality to love the unlovely, to forgive the unforgivable, to embrace those who are repulsive to us. But the new identity creates a new purpose. So as we close, brothers and sisters, I just close with these questions in light of the good Gospel that we've been reminded of this morning. Children of God, born of God, how will you dance in grace this week?
before a dark world? How will you intentionally reflect Him in your relationships? May God give us the grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the testimony and the witness of the Apostle John. We thank You most of all for these Gospel truths that we have been reminded of. Born of God, made children of God to be a witness to the grace that we have been shown. Oh Father, I pray that we would go from this place with a greater understanding, a greater digestion of the love that we have been shown, that that in turn might give us the strength and the motivation to love in like ways. Father, I pray that You would take this Word, that it would not return to You void, but would accomplish all that You intend for it to accomplish. For the glory of Your name and for the good of Your people, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.